I've spent many a race night in the barn at Menangle, unwittingly observing the methods employed by other trainers. I haven't seen a more hands-on or a more meticulous trainer than Darren McCall, nor have I seen a more dedicated supporter than Darren's wife, Karina Johansson. Darren is descended from a long line of harness horsemen and would have excelled in his field even had he never left Australia. But an 11-year stay in North America and Canada moulded him into an even better trainer and conditioner of the harness horse. Darren McCall was born in Windsor, but he moved to Brisbane at a very early age when his dad, Ron McCall, was given the role of private trainer for Bob Ingham, who at the time was the biggest owner of harness horses in Australia. Bob opened Brisbane stables and siphoned horses north from his Sydney bases when it appeared they would be better placed in Queensland. Ron McCall did that job admirably for 12 or 14 years, and that's the environment young Darren McCall grew up in. Like many other top drivers, Darren, uh, you got your first taste of it with the Mini Trotters. Yeah, that's correct, John. At an early age, uh, watching my neighbours across the road uh, race their Mini Trotter, and, and, and I was intently uh, you know, just watching and waiting and uh, one day that the uh, young fellow that was driving him became too old and then they asked me if uh, if it would be all right if I was able to drive him and uh, mm. that's pretty much how it all beca- began. When it was time to graduate to the real harness horses a few years later, a little horse called Able Flyer was your inspiration. Your first two drives were behind Able Flyer. You won both of them, but later on you won another six on the horse. Yeah, he's a good little horse. Um, he was kind of the one of the young horses that I learnt uh, the, the the big horses that I'd learnt to drive on. Mm. And um, you know, it just uh, it came about the right time that uh, you know he had raced for a few years and was still kind of racing okay. And I got my license, and it was uh, it was a great pleasure to get to drive him because he was a he was an honest little horse who tried hard. And uh, yeah, he gave me a lot of lot of fun. I went in my first couple of drives and. You know, um, winning a, a bunch more on him. So he, he was a good little horse to start off with. You were working for another Queensland trainer called Stuart Hunter when a fellow called Ross Krogan came in to visit one day. Now, Ross was a Queenslander who'd become a top trainer in North America. He was home on holiday and he'd been watching you all morning. He must have uh, liked what he saw because later on in the day he made you a surprise offer. Yeah, he uh, you know, he'd just been kind of sitting back and not really talking much, just wandering around. And he came over and he said, "Anytime you want a job in North America, he said you just give me a call." So um, I didn't really have to think about it too long. I I responded straight away with, "I'll uh, give it give Stuart two weeks' notice and I'll book a plane." So that was how it all began. Uh, I I pretty much made my mind up instantly that uh, I, I wanted to go to North America and learn some more. You were about 28, Darren, when you arrived in New Jersey and you went straight to work for Ross and you were more interested in training than you were in race driving at that stage. You drove very little uh, at Krogan's place. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, the first kind of thing that you'll, you'll learn when you go to North America is really is, uh, is trainers train and drivers drive. Um, mm. There is not many trainers and drivers. And... Um, 
realistically you kind of have to pick one or the other and I myself knew that um, obviously I want to be a trainer as well as drive but I needed to perfect the training side of it first so that was the one thing that I concentrated on and um, you know I followed Ross around pretty much 24 hours a day to try and pick up every every little thing I could. You stunned me when we were talking on the phone the other day when you said Ross Krogan is the best standard bred trainer you've ever seen. And you gave me a couple of good examples of that. Oh, that's for sure. Um, you know, I've been fortunate now to travel, you know, quite a lot around the world, even into Europe with my wife and, and see some of the best horsemen in the world. Um, but by, by far, Ross is, is the best horseman I've seen. Um, some of the things he could do with a horse uh, would blow you away. You know, you'd, really, you'd really be shocked by it. But, you know, a perfect example was... You know, a horse uh, that he sent me to claim one night called Impedo, and I'd filled out the claim form incorrectly. And of course, we didn't get the claim. So, mm. after a few minutes of him yelling at me of how come I messed up, um, he sent me to buy the horse, and I couldn't buy the horse. The guy he wasn't interested in selling, so mm. we went back the following week and claimed him. Now, this horse was he was a runaway. You know, um, no one could hold him. You know, he'd run 26 a quarter, you know, half in 53 and three quarters in 121 and stop. And I said to her, I said, what would you want this horse for? He's crazy. You know, like, and he said, mate, he said, mate, I'm going to tell you now, boy, this is a good horse. We just need to rig him right. Mm -hmm. And he completely changed his equipment and drove him from behind his very first start. And he went by the field in 51. Mm -hmm. He won three in a row. We sold him for big money and he never won another race again. They couldn't get the go. But then it was only a couple of weeks later when we raced another horse, um, a Western Hanover horse that had been working with the best horse we had in the barn. And we had a lot of good horses. And he was, uh, this horse was only a 50 claimer, but like he was beating the 49 paces. And mm. I couldn't see him lose it. And he had the perfect trip. Campbell drove him, gave him a second over trip. And he finished fifth. He just had nothing left. And um, I'd scoped him after the race. And Ross came down to me and he said, Did you watch that horse, boy? I said, Yeah. He said, how'd he scope? I said, perfect. He said, he's got the wrong attitude. And I said, okay, <laughs> what are we going to do? He said, well, we're going we're gonna to leave him in his stable all week. I said, what do you mean leave him in his stable? He said, he's not allowed out of his stable. Goodness he's me. Just, to stay in his stable 24-7. He said, tell the girl, even if she takes him out to give a pig her ass, mm. she'd be fired. And I was kind of like, well, I've got to do as I'm told. So I told the girl and she was all upset. Anyway, uh, he stays in his stable seven days and comes back to the races the next week in the same race and the same horses. Campbell gives him exactly the same trip and he wins by about five and 51 with his head on his chest. Mm -hmm. And John came back after the race and said to me, I don't know what you did to this horse, Darren, but he improved a furlong. I said, John, if I told you what I did to him or what we did to him, you wouldn't believe me anyway. Mm, so and, you didn't bother? <laughs> no, well... I just didn't think that anyone would actually believe us anyway, you know. Um, and Ross came back to me after the race and he's gone ahead had a cocky grin on his face and mm. he said, you watch that horse, boy? I said, yep. Mm. He said he was like a cage lion let loose. Mm. And that was exactly what, it, what his whole thing was. You know, yeah, like he, yeah. was, he was sneaking outside the box and mm. he knew that that horse last week, he didn't give 100% effort. And his, his effort could have been better and, and it was a different way that I'd ever seen of Make it even be better. Mm. You know, he, he, there was there was nothing to it. Like he literally stayed locked up, and it mm. was the first time he'd seen daylight 
and he he literally just ran off. It was it was truly amazing to think that anyone would think of it, mm-hmm. let alone would actually get away with it and it would work. Darren, he was obviously a horse with no lactic acid problems. I mean, you'd be running an awful risk of tying mm-hmm. a horse up, leaving him in the box for seven days. Well, yes, yes, and, and, and you know that was the first thing I feared, and, and mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, how could this horse be any good? And uh, you know, like I said, it was. It blew me away to think that mm. one, one, could you think of it, and two, you could actually get away with it. And yeah, this is yeah. what I noticed time after time with Ross of doing mm. certain things and training horses certain ways and putting certain pieces of equipment on that he could get the best out of horses that previous trainers couldn't. Mm. And he could do this religiously. And, and, and that's when you start to notice that, hang on a minute. Just, to, gi- see, um, just to give our listeners an idea of the mm. strength of Ross Krogan's stable at that time, when you were there, he had 180 runners in a full – 780, I beg your pardon? Yes. 780 yeah. runners in a full season at the Meadowlands between January and August. That's uh, correct. So everybody was pretty busy. Yeah, we're, we're busy actually. Um, you can only race one horse in a race there unless it's a stake race, so it's a paid into event. So, mm. on a normal night, if there's 13 races, you can only race 13 horses. And I remember one Saturday night, we had 12 horses in, and we had the, the AE1, so the first emergency for the other race. So, mm-hmm. um, no one had ever started 12 horses on a meet ever, um, on a, especially in single races. So, it, it was a. Um, it was a pretty full-on time. Uh, you know, it was nothing for us to, to probably race, you know, 40 or 50 horses a week. Mm. You know, it was, it was pretty insane. Ross had an established owner at that time called Eric Cherry, who had a few horses campaigning in Canada, and he was anxious to expand his Canadian stable. Now, it was Ross Krogan who recommended you to run that stable for Eric Cherry. And you were destined to spend about eight years in Ontario uh, at his stables, which he called Let It Ride Stables. Yeah, that's right. Eric uh, Eric was a big owner in the sport. He's owned a lot of stallions and uh, raced a lot of horses and bred a lot over the years. Um, I think at one stage he had about 180 horses. And uh, Ross had given me the opportunity. He asked me if I was interested because uh, he knew that obviously one day I would like to go out on my own. Mm. And he said, if you're ever going to do it, you're going to do it with Eric Cherry because he's the best owner of the sport. Uh, he never complains. He pays his bills on time mm. and he loves to buy resources to win. Yeah. So it just seemed like, you know, it, it was a no-brainer really. You just had to do it. As mm. much as um, packing up and moving to another country again seemed a bit daunting, uh, mm. we didn't hesitate. And, Darren, it, it seems Eric Cherry was happy for you to take outside owners too. Yeah, he was really good. Um, I, I pretty much started with uh, seven horses, of which I think five were Eric's. One was another uh, guy called Stake Your Claim Stable and another smaller owner. Um, yeah, so he was really good. It took a while because a lot of people, uh, the owners there, thought that I just trained for Let It Ride. Mm. So it did take a little while before they kind of worked out that I took outside clients and before the stable kind of started to grow. Your principal driver was the legendary John Campbell, now retired. This man, just to give people an idea of his win rate, won his 10,000th race as far back as 2008. He retired only last year. 
the term legend is probably used too loosely. In John Campbell's case, it is hardly appropriate. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, the greatest the sport has ever seen. Um, you know, the, the accolades that he's received, uh, there could even be more. You know, there there's, seems to be, he seemed to just have a way with the horse. He was always positioned in the right place at the right time. But the one thing that I always remember about John Campbell is he would be the nicest person that you could ever meet. He mm. remembers everyone's name, and it don't matter if, you know, you're, you're, you're just a groom and you only took care of one horse that he drove 10 years ago, he knows your name Good and he stops the sale out of you. Yeah. And, and I think that's the one thing that you always remember about John is that it don't matter um, all the stuff that he's won, the Hamiltonians, the Millions races, there ain't a race that he hasn't won that John remembers everyone's name and he's the most down-to-earth person that you could ever find. Mm -hmm. How did he finish health-wise after so many drives, a freakish number of drives? Was he fairly injury-free throughout that long career? You know what, he was for a great period, but I think it was around uh, early 2000, he broke an ankle and he got beat up a little bit there and he wasn't too bad, but then... It was a, a little later on, about 2008, where he got busted up pretty good there. He, he walked with a limp for a while, but mm. he, he came out of that. But, you know, all things considered, um, you know, when you're driving in about 40,000 races, you, you, you come out of it and you can still uh, get up and walk all right. You're doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. He's a Canadian, isn't he, Darren? Yeah, he's a Canadian. Yeah, he's, uh, he's from London, Ontario, actually. And uh, I was fortunate to to actually train a couple for him and, and actually drive one of the horses, one of those that John owned uh, when I trained up in Canada. It was, I think it was probably the highlight of my career is actually being called by John Campbell and asked to drive his own horse. Mm. Um, I was I got off the phone like in a buzz because John Campbell had, didn't want the other drivers to drive it. He said, I would rather you drive it because he seems to go better for you. So yeah, You were pretty yeah. chuffed, eh? I was pretty. I was pretty happy to tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Colin De Filippi told me a very similar story, Darren, some years ago, when the legendary Morris Holmes retired from race driving, arguably New Zealand's greatest ever driver. Uh, he he took on training, had a team of twelve or fifteen horses, and he rang a very young Colin De Filippi one day, a couple of weeks after he finished driving, and he said, "Colin, I'm going to run some horses at Addington on Friday. I'd like you to drive them." He said, "As a matter of fact, I'd like you to be my stable driver for the foreseeable future." Colin De Filippi literally fainted when he got off the phone. He, he was so overcome by the, the privilege and the honour. Yes. You, you felt yes. very similar. Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, there's, uh, he just has a presence about him and, and you know, they say but he's so down to earth. Um, you know, I, I remember winning a breeder's crown there, the last one I won uh, with a trotter, and they asked him to do the presentation and he said, no, Darren, you go over and do it. He said, and I'll stay here. And he stayed there and talked to my parents. He'd only, he'd only just met on the track. Mm. I'd introduced them to him in the winner's circle. Mm. But John, you know, he was that corner guy. He said, no, Darren, you go over and do the, do the presentation. He said, I'll just stay here. So he just stayed back for 10 minutes and talked to my parents. Yeah. You know, it's just a great man. Just a great man. It's good times all round at harness racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track 
and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacenter.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. You got to train some wonderful horses during your time in Canada, including a mighty mare called Carolina Sunshine. She won $1.3 million. She went 148.4 in 2003. And at that time, Darren, I think she was the fastest mare in the world. Yeah, she held that record for quite a few years, actually. Um, she still held the track record there when they stopped racing the Woodbine. Uh, she was a great mare. Um, looked like a stallion. She was just a big, massive animal, you know, like a big arch neck on her and a big hind quarter. Mm. Uh, she could just pace fast. She, she was great for probably a great 1,400 metres of the mile. Um, if you didn't use her hard early, mm. uh, you really couldn't beat her after that. And the night she went 48, she, she sat to the quarter and, and then uh, her driver, Chris Christopher, moved her and, and uh, she, she literally went the half in 53 and a piece just on the bit. And mm. yeah, it, was, it was an awesome night. It was a uh, North America Cup night. It was early in the card. The sun was still out. And I remember it like yesterday. Mm. Um, it, was, it was definitely something special. Uh, she, she won a lot of races for us, uh, let it ride on her. And, and yeah, she was, she was a great tool to train. Corleone Cosmos was a terrific trotter you had the privilege to prepare. Yeah, he was he was another good horse. Um, he, he he was probably the, one of the best trotters of his era. There's no doubt about it. He won two point three million trotter fifty one. Um, you know he could uh, he could do a few things wrong every now and then, uh, but as far as um, speed and toughness, he, he's a great animal. You know he won the Breeders' Crown for me, and uh, he actually had a little setback the the week previous. Um, you know he, he could have actually. Took a buy into the final because he won the most money that season, but the owners elected to race because to, there you could pick your barrier draw. Mm. And uh, you know we we, we said, oh, all right, fair enough, that's what the owners want, so we have to race. And uh, the day before, he had to go into retention mode. He tied up so bad he couldn't walk. Um, so there really wasn't much I could do. He, he, he had to go to retention. He had to race because if I scratched him, he wouldn't have been into the uh, British Grand Final. So mm. he, he came into retention and finished second and tried to 52 and four and uh, come back seven days later. And, you know, his blood count was just absolutely horrendous. And, you know, come out and try to 51 and four, home 27 to two, went in the British Grand. It's it mm. truly remarkable. Um, I'd say 99 out of 100 horses could not have done what he'd done when, mm. when I took his blood his CK was 9,000 and his SJT, they couldn't even get a reading on, which the vet mm. said was probably close to the 40,000. Yeah. So, you know, he, he shouldn't have been able to even race and, and he, he managed to be able to overcome it. And, you know, you wouldn't have even known after the race that, that, that he had any muscle enzyme problem. You know, it's just an mm. amazing animal. You speak well of another great mare called South Wind Tempo. Oh, she was just sheer speed. Her winds were electrifying. Um, one of the wins in the uh, the Milton Stakes, um, Jody Jamison drove it, and he, he just seemed to get into a really awkward position coming off the last turn. A horse had moved three wide from behind him, and he was trapped in 10th, nowhere to go, halfway through the turn with the leader getting a breakaway, and, and, and I just I couldn't believe it. I thought, we, we, just, um, we can't win. You know, we cannot win from where we are, mm. and Jody got it to the outside, and she swooped the field, and it was the most amazing win 
I think I can ever remember because I looked across the outside fence and yeah. I just seen this black flash coming and she went by running. Mm. And when we come back after, Jody said to me, he said, mate, I've won big races. I've drove great horses. I have never been that fast the last 200 metres of my life. Good heavens. Yeah, he said it was electrifying. And when I watched the replay today, it gives me chills. Uh, mm-hmm. she, was, she was a super mare and, and her speed was just amazing. So, yeah, what, what a great horse. What a lovely horse to have around. You and Karina met in New Jersey. Now, she's of Danish stock, uh, but she'd been working in the United States, and by a freak of nature, you kept running into her. Yeah, yep. Uh, Karina had worked when she first came for for a Norwegian trainer and elected after a year to, to join learn to do the paces. So she moved across to a, a claiming trainer named Mark model, and we would always cross paths with Mark because – Russell's barn had claimers and we would claim his and he would claim ours. So it's like, you know, every week we were claiming one of their horses and they were claiming one of our horses. So mm. it seemed to be, you know, everywhere we went, uh, you know, we would cross paths and, you know, we started to chat a little bit and, you know, all of a sudden we ended up in Kentucky racing horses. So yeah. we were kind of, we knew each other before we went. We were the kind of the only ones we knew. So we chat a little more. So yeah, it's, um, it was a real uh, interesting time because, Karina obviously uh, only ever done trotters before she'd come to North America and, and mm. because everything is done so different mm. in Scandinavia, um, she was very, very uh, good with that that trotters and I, I had no idea really about trotters, only driving my mini trotter before I left Australia. So mm. uh, she was very knowledgeable and we, we, we really clicked. So it was the start of a, a long time together. Well, you made it official in the year of 2004 when you got married at Niagara Falls, arguably one of the world's most popular honeymoon destinations. <laughs> yeah, it is. It seems a bit of a cliche, but uh, being, you know, uh, just an hour away, um, it was kind of the, the ideal place to go and get married, you know, and uh, beautiful background and, you know, lovely little church and there was just a couple of us, so it was, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was a nice day and, you know, it seems a long time ago now. Well, it's 14 years ago, mate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was 2000, 2011 <laughs> when you and Karina decided to head to Australia and see if you could generate a career here training harness horses. And first up, you went back to Queensland. Yeah, well, that's where I grew up. And, uh, as much as I wanted to come, come to Sydney with, uh, you know, the sale of Harold Park and, you know, building the big track here at Menangle, but... I think that the, the, I knew that I, the only place I could probably get a few owners was where I'd been from. You know, people know me there, and I thought, well, if I go back there, I might be able to start something, and then from that we can hopefully snowball along and, and get to here. So, mm. you know, that was the, the first start, and, uh, you know, it was a little slow to, to get going, um, but finally we picked up a couple of okay horses, and then I brought those ones down here to Menangle to start here. One of them was a horse called Better Bet Black, who finished with a total of 29 career wins, and I think you won 27 or 28 of those with him. Darren, he was an extraordinary horse. Uh, I've never seen a horse faster off the mobile gate than he was, and I don't think you have either. Oh, no, no. He he definitely was an amazing animal. Um, When I first got him, uh, everyone told me that he's crazy, and a couple of people said they don't even think he's that good. And 
he was a, a different horse to train early on. He, he, he wouldn't go. He was uh, probably, even still at the end of his career, the worst track worker I've ever had. Mm. Uh, yeah, but uh, put him on the gate and he was a different animal. And he didn't really have a lot of, a lot of gate speed early. Um, it wasn't till I'd probably raced him probably 10 or 15 times where I, I kind of, you know, one day just give him a little chase up off the wings and, and, and he stepped out of there fast. And I thought, geez, you know, this horse can, can begin quick. Mm. And it was every start after that where he just got faster and faster and faster. And, you know, I dare it say that, that, that I haven't seen another horse that can step off the gate with him. And, you know, I've trained in three countries. and Yeah, exactly. I've never driven one like it. Um, mm. you know, he, could, he could break 12 seconds of the furlong off the gate on the bit. Mm. Um, and that would be why I could always get around. That's why I was, I was always confident I could lead. It didn't matter what was inside me. Mm. And if I drew the car park, I knew I'd be in front because mm. no horse can run 12 to the furlong, and he could. And it, it was so that he was that fast that even the starter actually had said to me on three or four occasions when he drew behind the car that the, he had released the field and the arms were in, and the car was two or three inches clear of the rest of them. And he looked back and he said he was still on the car. Yeah. And he couldn't, he couldn't believe it because he couldn't get the car to go faster. Yeah. You were telling me about one day or one night at Menangle when Blake Fitzpatrick, who'd drawn inside you, was confident he could hold you out. Yeah, he, he was doing his best to try and get across and, and obviously either get to my back or, or, you know, be in front. And when we pulled up, he, he just said, I've never seen a horse go so fast off the car. Mm. And and I said, it's purely amazing. He said, it's just unbelievable. And he's it was it would be two steps and he would be at full speed. And it was, it was, I was even so cocky that the one night of him, I looked across to the guy inside me and said, watch me go now. And I just chirped at him and he yeah. left him. Yeah. And, and after the start, the guy said, he said, at the finish, he said, what did you say? I said, I was just being cocky and just said, watch me go now. Cause I knew I'd yeah. just leave you. So it, it was his perfect gait. It was almost flawless off the start. You know, yeah. he, he didn't, he paced so straight in front and in behind. He had no wasted gait, mm. and his reach was phenomenal. So that's what really made him, you know, be a good horse. But, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, he, he still always had a 27 quarter at the end of it, but he raced here for six years, burning 26 or faster, and mm. he broke the fastest first quarter on the track five times. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, he finished up an M7 and a C24, so he did a hell of a job, and you'd certainly like another three or four like him in the immediate future. Yeah, yeah, you definitely wouldn't be knocking him back. He was, uh, you know, a couple of Newcastle miles, uh, second in the Cordina Sprint, uh, his first emergence for the Miracle Mile, uh, numerous other wins along the way, but, yeah, he was truly a great old horse. You had another one when you first started off at Menangle, Darren, by the name of I'm Full of Luck. New Zealand bred, he won four straight at Menangle at one stage and I think he won five out of his first seven. He was a nice horse for you too. I'm full of luck. Yeah, he was a, he was a Kiwi import that, uh, you know, kind of hadn't really raced good for about 12 months in New Zealand and, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he came across and he had a few feet issues. So I actually, uh, I glued his shoes on and uh, I pretty much seen an instant you know, an instant response. He just got better and better and better. And uh, he did a good job because, you know, it was hard to, to get here in the first place. I only had a couple of horses to bring. Um, and, and those horses need to be good 
if, if they weren't good, I probably wasn't going to get any new stock. And, and it was because of, you know, a bit of it black and a couple of them and full of luck starting to win that all of a sudden, you know, people started to give me a horse or two. So it was very important that, that he did good right at that time. Yeah. Ice Ice Baby was another interesting one. Now, she was a well-bred mare from Canada. You actually uh, financed her to Australia. Yeah, we, uh, my wife and I bought her at the sale in, in London, Ontario. Um, you know, I'd go to the sales for my owners and I'd often, you know, there'd be 300 horses sell, you know, in a day or two there. And I would probably look at 100, 150 just so that uh, I'd give them all a price range whether I'd like them, you know, yes or no. And later on, my owners would call me up and she was on my list to look at, but I really didn't think I'd be able to afford her considering her mother was out of a sister to Canberra. So mm. I kind of thought, well, you know, she, we won't be able to afford her for ourselves. And my wife really fell in love with her and she said, you got to look at her. And I said, well, I can look at her, but I'm pretty sure we won't be able to buy her. Mm. Uh, we're very fortunate um, that that year was Monnard's second crop and his first crop were only coming to average. And uh, North Americans are pretty hard on them. So they decided, you know, that they, they really didn't want them. So I only paid $9,000 for her, which kind of shocked me. I thought she'd be a $30,000 yearly. Mm. And she went on the first start and won uh, Ontario Size Stakes Elimination for 40000 So we got 20 back straight away. And she turned out to be a really nice filling. You know, she had over 200 uh, Canadian made before we brought her back here. So and she managed to win, I think, about another six or seven races here after that. Yeah. Now, she, what became of her, Darren? Yeah. Uh, well, she's broodmare for us. Um, mm. And the first foal is actually... Uh, what's called Rock and Roll Baby. He was a South Australian Horse of the Year. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. She's actually a trotter, but she went on the pace at two and then come back and uh, the guy trotted her at three and uh, Greg Norman, he's done a great job with her. And It's funny because actually Ice Ice Baby could trot too, so there must be something there. Uh, mm. But unfortunately, she's had no luck with uh, the rest of her uh, horses to get to, to racing age. Mm. Um, a couple, she had not gone in foal and one had died, but we now have a pet rock colt, a yearling colt, mm. and she missed the next year. She's now uh, just tested positive to infold to always be Mickey now. So Good. Now, what about Victory Bonita? She was a handy filly when you kicked off at Menangle. Yeah, she was. Um, possibly the biggest two I'd ever put a harness on. She was like 16 hands, um, perfect gated, you know, 60-inch hobble, 60-inch check, and you could just literally chirp at her and she could hit the ground and go 26 off the gate. Um Good filly who who kind of won elimination of the Breeders' Crown, uh, you know, elimination of the Sire Stakes, and, the, and she won the she won the Breeders' Final in, in Queensland. She made it to all the big dances without winning, um, but was a really nice filly. And, and like I said, that was another one that was come on the first first truck here. It was important to do good. Uh, you know, if you kind of come here and you don't do good, well, you know, you kind of don't get no phone calls. So mm. it, it, she was she was definitely one that helped along the way. Claiming races have had a resurgence in New South Wales over the last few years, and one of the biggest success stories is one of yours, horse called Ideal Situation. You claimed him out of Queensland, and you knocked up winning races with him at Menangle. He must have been looking for that track. I think he was too, you know. Um, you know, he's a $6,000 claim, and, and um, I actually have taken him once or twice back to a smaller track, and he don't go any good on the smaller track. So he really enjoys on the big circuit. Mm. Um, but you know that that was that was one of our four days there in North America. You know, claiming horses. You know, and 
it does kind of teach you a lot of things because you know you're pretty much claiming someone else's problem, mm. and you've kind of got to look at them a little differently from you know from week to week and horse to horse. Um, and I I sat down and I watched every start of that horse on on the harness web, mm. and he had had eighty odd eighty eight starts, and I watched them all, and I was pretty confident that I could do okay with him. He'd come from a good stable and he'd been well looked after and he was bred there and raised there and they'd done a good job with him. But I just thought that a change of scenery could possibly be the best thing for him. And, and realistically, um, didn't really do a lot with him. I, I changed his shoes and I changed his equipment. And um, I actually kind of probably did a lighter workload than what he would have been on. And I was I was a little shocked to tell you through that he improved that much. You know, he, mm. he went from being a pretty average horse um you know i got him here and worked him and i thought he's you know he might be okay he might win a race or two and, and then he won his first five straight i was like well he's mm. better than better than average so we're talking about ideal situation with uh, darren mccall he's racing again now darren but he had been off the scene for quite a long time did he have any problems yeah he really got sick on me and he just couldn't get healthy and it just Everything kind of just went wrong every time we tried to to kind of patch him up and you know get him get him kind of healthy again. He just got sick again, and so in the end we kind of just quit with him for a while. And he's uh, he's just starting to, to to get back to form now. He's um, he's got a little closer his last two starts. I think he's probably in a couple of weeks away from getting back to the winner's circle. Now, young Chris Geary is one of your freelance drivers, Darren. You've had a lot to do with this young fellow. Uh, I believe he notched his 500th career win during the week, which is an outstanding tally at 19 years of age. Uh, he's certainly uh, going to be one of the top-grade drivers in the future. Oh, for sure. Chris, Chris is a very good driver already at, at a young age. And, you know, like having travelled the world a lot and seen a lot of the best drivers, and I'm, I'm friends with a lot of them too, Um there's certain things, you know, like I think that make good drivers and, you know, being calm is, is definitely one big positive attitude that you see all these drivers have. They're very calm in their demeanour and, and Chris has that. But it's right from an early, early time when he started driving, when he was even in trial drives, that uh, I noticed that and I said to, to my wife, I said, you know, this kid's actually better than average. He, he drives very good and he makes good decisions. And I said, it's very unusual for kids at his age learning um, to be making the decisions that he does. Uh, that's why we kind of, I wanted him on my horses early and, and we do seem to have a, a good thing going. Um, he, he, he trusts me when I tell him what my horses can do. Mm. And sometimes he probably trusts, he trusts me more than I would trust myself driving the horse. Yeah. You know, I, I, might under, I might tell him I know what my horse can do, but then not drive it that hard. You know? But if I tell Chris, I know, this horse can do this, this and this, Mm. He says, okay, and he goes and does it. You know, and and mm. I have that much confidence in him when I put him on a horse that I never ever tell him how to drive the horse. I tell mm. him what my horse can do. I tell him how my horse is trained. Mm. And then I ask him what he thinks of the race. That's it. I don't say, I want you to do this, this, and this. I don't – we don't, try not to overcomplicate things. Mm. And, you know, I know that he knows he can make a decision. I want him to know he can make a decision if he has to change it mid-race, mm. and, and he does. Yep. So he's, he's a very good driver, and for, for 19 years of age, um, you'd have to go a long way to find better. Yeah. How's he going to be at 30? Well, that's exactly right. There'll be a lot more wins by then, won't there? Mm, many, many more. Darren, uh, currently you've got 13 in work. Would you like a few more, or are you happy with that number? 
Oh, a few more would hurt. Um, we had the bomb here at 20 at uh, Meningo Park Training Center, and uh, definitely a couple more horses wouldn't hurt. Um, we have a few of our own that we probably need to turn over now and, and move on somewhere else. So, yeah, you know what they say, new faces win races. Mm, that's right. <laughs> Another one you brought back from Canada. Yeah, that's right. That was, Krog- that was Krogan's. New faces win races. Now, yeah. Darren, it's a tough old game, as we all know. But uh, you're very devoted to the sport and to the harness horse, and I am absolutely certain no trainer in this country has got a more devoted, hard-working four-person than you've got in Karina Johansson. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Karina's, uh, yeah, she's the best one I've ever seen. Um, and not, it's a, not just her dedication, but it's her attention to detail, um, which is really important. You know, uh, we can all work hard, but if we don't pay attention to the details, we make mistakes. And that's the, the key with Karina. And I think that's her Scandinavian upbringing, how very particular are about the way stuff is done yeah. and the way it is to be done all the time. You know, there's no cutting corners or anything like that. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny that uh, I do remember quite a few years ago in Canada employing one young guy. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, I said to Karina, I said, I'm going to have to fire him by the end of the day. And she said to me, you, you're, you're pretty hard on him. I said, yes, but I said, he, he don't work hard enough. Mm. And at 12 o'clock, the guy came to me and said, would you mind if this was my last day? And I said, hey? He said, would you mind if this was my last day? He said, I have never seen people work like you and Karina. He said, mm. your missus could outwork three men. I said, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knew he couldn't keep up. That was correct. He knew, and he was at least honest enough to come to me and tell me that mm. I, I can't work here because you guys work too hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, but it's good because, you know what, um, this game you only get back what you put into it. And, you know, I feel that when time gets tough and, and you know, your horses aren't going right or you're not having the luck or whatever, um, it's actually time to get up earlier and work harder. And, and, and that's what we do. And, and, and that's the only way to actually keep being successful at this game, you know, you can't get down even though we all get down on ourselves and, you know, you want to, you know, you think, oh, you know, I'm not having much luck, and, but you just got to get back into it and, and get going again. Darren, thanks for your time on the podcast. I've enjoyed the chat. Keep up the good work and give my very best regards to your dad, Ron McCall, who's getting very close to his 80th birthday. I will. Thank you so much, Sean. It's good times all round at harness racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round.